Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Whatever time it is, maybe it's lunchtime in the middle of the day. Regardless, welcome. I am Madeline Charrington, and this is If You Don't Mind. We don't care when you listen to this podcast, as long as you're listening to this podcast. That's a win. (laughs) Guys, welcome to episode nine. We are really getting through it, aren't we? I, I mean, this is nearly the end of season one. Before you know it, season one will be done. How fantastic is that? I guys, I'm I'm quite proud of myself, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um this week's episode is how do I say very emotional. Very, very emotional. I think this is one that hopefully is going to impact a lot of women in particular, especially those who have experienced what um, our guest this week has experienced. So for this episode, I got to interview my lovely friend, Madison, who I actually used to live with um, back when I was renting in Glebe. And she is just, she's hilarious and intelligent and she makes me laugh so much. I just love being around her and I love having her in my life. But when we first met, uh, she had actually moved over from Perth and was basically coming out the other end of a very, very traumatic experience. So Madison got pregnant. um, And then unfortunately, some time after that, miscarried. Now, Unfortunately for Madison, this event, this very, very traumatic event, triggered a, I guess for lack of a better term, emotional breakdown. Uh, It fractured friendships. It uh, basically completely turned her life on its head. Um, And to be perfectly honest, this is probably the most emotional, almost hard to listen to episode that I've put out. When I was actually going back and editing this, I found myself crying each time just because of how raw and and honest this account is. I think Madison does a really good job of highlighting and explaining this, this particularly bad episode in her life. And I think it's really brave of her to let us in and to hear that story because it's a very, very private thing, this kind of pain and this kind of trauma. So... I really do appreciate her opening up and sharing this story with us. As usual, guys, um, there is definitely a trigger warning with this episode. So we do discuss miscarriage, um, suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety. Um, If you don't like to hear about blood, this is also probably not the best episode for you. Um, But... If you feel like today you're in the correct mindset and you're feeling well within yourself to listen, please do. It's a really, really good episode. Okay, so let's get stuck into it. This is episode nine with Madison. I hope you like it. Do you want to be called Maddie or Madison? Uh, Whatever you reckon. <laughs> do you reckon Madison? Because there's I'm... not two Maddies. Yeah. That's probably, that makes sense. Yeah, Madison. 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 People call me Mad Dog Millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) Or Mad Dog 3000. (laughs) I like Mad Dog 3000. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you're cool, we can start. Do you need to undo your pants? (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) To get comfy. Maybe later. Maybe later, girl. Um, Welcome, Madison. Thank you, Maddie. (laughs) (laughs) Feels weird calling me that. It's so weird when I interview people who are my friend. Because I'm just like, how do I talk to you? I have to be professional. <laughs> oh, it doesn't have to be professional, does no, it? No, it doesn't. We're not going to be professional. No. It's all good. <laughs> I 
love our friendship because if we the only reason we met was because we put an ad on flatmates for someone to come and to move into our Glebe house and you were coming from Perth and quite literally had that not happened we would have never met we would have never met we would have never created this beautiful friendship no we wouldn't I remember seeing you Lisa and Ellie on the couch and I was like these girls yeah they're cool they have a Christmas tree that was really important I was like they celebrate Christmas and that is a big thing for me oh I did not know that yeah I need a tree that's fair I was like they've fitted into the tiny house they've made space (laughs) it's fucking little house yeah it was so little but it was so cute i know and we were so happy when you moved in because you were just like this fucking little ray of sunshine and you were just so energetic and excited about life and i was like yeah (laughs) here she comes but when you had moved in with us you had come so you moved from perth Mm -hmm. that was actually a very kind of tumultuous time in your life when you were kind of making the move. Yeah. So what had kind of happened for you before you came to Sydney? Yeah, so moving to Sydney was like a really, really big deal for me because it was like a big moment of letting go of all the stuff and leaving behind this really traumatic kind of experience that I had been going through. Um, So the year before, I... I don't really know how to start this, actually. So, so... The year before was really challenging for me. Um, I had been completing my postgraduate in broadcasting. Ooh, oh, I could do this podcast. I could do this podcast. I couldn't do this podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had a really competitive course that I got into and how I ended up there was I didn't I had no intentions of going back to university, but I did end up there. And what had happened was I – because I'm a, I'm a journalist and a broadcaster, that's what – my degree was in. So I had been working in Esperance, which is in very south western Australia, um, <laughs> as a journalist for a regional newspaper. And I had just quit my job because it was incredibly draining and challenging and didn't get a lot of support and I was just very done. Mm. And I had this plan. I was like, okay, I'll go over east or like I'll, you know, I want to go work at the ABC. That's my goal. So I'm going to get out of here and I'll go do that. But um, the week before I was due to leave Esperance and move back to Perth, I found out I was pregnant. Um, That was a big shock. I, yeah, I didn't obviously expect that. It was an unplanned pregnancy, a surprise. (laughs) This is the language that, helpful, useful language that we use. Surprise. We don't say mistake. No. Um, So anyway, as soon as I found out, I was like, okay, I'm keeping this baby. This is what I'm doing. It's like, it wasn't even a thought. I couldn't, it couldn't cross my mind. Like, I I understand people, you know, I have nothing against people who decide they don't want to keep their baby or whatever but this for me it was just a no, no brainer yeah yeah absolutely no brainer i was like okay shit <laughs> <laughs> i've just quit my job who's gonna hire a pregnant 26 year old like it was oh my god it was so scary it was insane it was it was yeah even just going through that was horrendous and then so the person who was um the the father that's a weird thing to say, Um, was a friend who I had had a one-night stand with, drunken one-night stand, and got pregnant, obviously, through. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to tell him. I had come back home and um, going to real hospitals and stuff, real doctors. No, they're they're real doctors in the region. It's just (laughs) limited resources is all I'm saying. Wait a long time for results and things anyway um and yeah I told him and surprisingly he was very excited I was just like okay look sit down (laughs) I have something to tell you um I'm pregnant and it is your baby and um I remember him like laying back on the bed and putting his hands on his face and just being like yeah um but smiling and that was a relief I was like okay cool I was like, it's up to you. You can be involved. You can not be involved. But, like, I'm going to be doing this regardless. Mm. And he was just kind of, like, in straight away, which was very nice because it made it a lot easier. Yeah. Um. So then it was just, like, breaking it to 
our friends and like I was really early obviously at that point I when I found out I was like five or six weeks along um and that's not the time that you would usually go and tell people but the dynamic of our friendship circle meant that it was kind of I had to yeah because I was one of um his brother was one of my best friends and wow okay the group was very like tight-knit yes very intertwined Mm. it would have been impossible to keep that a secret anyway so I told we had to tell everyone and I had mixed reactions um most people were happy my best friend my ex-best friend she wasn't there was like a bit of a history between her and uh can I give him a pseudonym? Yeah, you can give him a pseudonym. <laughs> uh, Blake? Blake. Okay. I've Yeah. No, I've got a good friend called Blake. I like him. Okay, how about Ryan? No, that's my ex-boyfriend's name. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, Toby. Perfect. Don't know any Tobys. I went on a date with a Toby. It didn't turn out, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, don't worry. <laughs> it's all good. So, uh, Toby... <laughs> What was I saying before I tried to figure out a pseudonym? Oh, yeah. Yep. The, um, history between ex-best friend and Toby that had gone on for a long time. Um, he'd been in love with her for about five years. Jeez. Honestly, like, <laughs> very incestuous kind of. Oh, These things so happen, po- though. Yes. That's what groups of friends are like sometimes. Oh, it's toxic mm. so opera drama honestly mm. like the love my love of my life and my best friend oh my god like <laughs> anyway so toby and he, fuck the, their relationship was really complicated i think he'd been in love with her she really liked having him around but didn't want anything more mm. um so yes yeah, uh fuck this is really hard to explain their relationship was just Complicated, Yes, which made this whole thing even more complicated. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, obviously, that was problematic at the start. It was like Joel being in... Oh, fuck. Um, can I just use their real names? You can. That's fine. I mean, it doesn't matter. No. I'm not defaming anyone. No. Cool. Joel. <laughs> His real name is Joel. <laughs> and her name is Angie. So she kind of started pulling back and... Being really weird, like she was my best friend. She was like my go-to for everything, tell you all my secrets, nothing. Like it was just we travelled together, you know, we had a very, very, very close relationship and it was just weird. It was weird. It was this massive dynamic change and I couldn't put my finger on what was happening. I knew that it was obviously to do with the fact that I was pregnant with Joel's baby but like how am I supposed to dissect that yeah you know I was going through my own stuff and it was obviously a really tumultuous time and I I don't really know how I was meant to understand and she wasn't willing to tell me um anyway hindsight's a fucking bitch of a thing Mm. so that was kind of what was happening in the background we went I had to I'm type 1 diabetic so that makes me high risk automatically for pregnancy yes okay high risk uh, so I had to consult with my endocrinologist. They are kind of like autoimmune specialists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My endocrinologist was a fucking bitch. <laughs> she was horrendous. Like, I remember you telling me the the story is fucked. Yeah, she was awful. Um, she'd been awful in the past with different issues. She just didn't have a bedside manner at all. Like it was just non-existent. Mm. Um, she was just oh, so unpleasant. Anyway, I went to see her with Joel. And she was just using this language like, well, first of all, it was like, you know you're meant to plan for a pregnancy. You know this. You're meant to plan. And I was like, I didn't know this. And obviously this is a – It's not a planned <laughs> this pregnancy. This is not a planned pregnancy. It's a surprise. So, but she's just like laying all this out being like – there was a lot of guilt yeah. straight away. Which is not what you need when you're seeing a medical professional at all. No, you're in a very fragile state. There's mm. a lot of hormones in the first three months of pregnancy. It's a bitch of a time. You want to nap. You want to cry. You want to yell. It's not good. But she was just, yeah, you're meant to plan um, if you have the baby, if you carry to full term, if, 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 like just this really awful language um, that she was using about my pregnancy and the possibility that I was 
yeah, just telling me about the there's a 20% risk that your baby will be born with a defect, a hole in its heart, underdeveloped organs. 20% is not low, but it's also not high. No. And it's also not what you want to hear when you're having that initial consultation. No, maybe it's something we can talk about later. In the future. Yes. Let's just get you healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I walked out of there. Like I started crying when I was in there, but I was just hysterical when we left. Like I don't think that someone needs to walk out of a consultation with a specialist no. in that state. Like I no. just – it wasn't handled well mm. at all. It was awful. So – um, that was a bad time. And then going to see the um, – so I had to go to a high-risk high unit. Um, it's called King Eddie's. Very, very nice staff there. Loved it. <laughs> they were so nice. That was like the first time someone said congratulations to me. Oh, dude. First and only time that someone from the medical community – was like, well done, you're having a baby. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. Um, <sighs> we've got you early enough, so you're fine. Like, yeah. You six weeks, so this is perfect. Yeah, you're like, barely pregnant. Yeah, it's fine. You're good. Like we yeah. can do this. It's going to mm. be okay. We'll get you a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor. It's all going to be fun, Danny. Let's talk about like what we can do and where we can go from here. Really positive experience, and that was that was like a big. Oh, mm. You can breathe. Like it's going to be okay because it's just tense like the whole time, especially being type one. Because the big thing is like. The hormones affect your blood sugar levels hugely. But also it's like all you can think about when you're awake is the fact that your blood sugar levels have to be perfect because your growing baby is mm. experiencing the same blood as you are. Yep. So, And that's where developmental issues can come in if you're – so my fingers were raw from testing. Oh, buddy. I was just like constantly checking, constantly checking, just stressed all the time. You just – there's so much pressure and so much weight. Like, this is my responsibility. If anything goes wrong, this is my fault. Hmm. And it must be hard enough for any person who's having a baby, especially when they haven't planned for it. But to have type 1, oh, the stress. Yeah. Like, that would just be insane. I had never thought about it because I hadn't really thought too much about having children. Hmm. And I, to be honest with you, no one had ever spoken to me about what it would be like to be a pregnant type 1 diabetic and... It is unpleasant. Mm. Like It sounds scary. It was terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying. So like anxiety-inducing because you're literally having to monitor yourself 24-7. Yeah. As opposed to well, – I mean, you do monitor yourself now, but twofold. Yes. Fuck. It was huge. Yeah, really difficult. Mm. Anyway, didn't expect that, but that's what it was and I was dealing with it day by day and it's just what it was, you know. Mm. Then at this point – so I went for my second – dating scan and Joel came. He was coming to all the appointments. It was very good. He was mm. very nice and helpful at the start. Second dating scan, he had his phone out and was like ready to like take a photo of the screen. He was really excited. Um and the sonographer was just like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I can't find a fetal pole. Uh you've miscarried. And it was just like Oh, shock, really. Mm. I remember not really feeling anything. I remember just for her it was nothing. She would do this potentially, who knows, 10 times a day, tell mm. people that they've miscarried. So it was just like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, bye. <laughs> and we walked out and I just remember numb, like numb and nothing. Yeah. And almost like, and this is a really awful thing that I had to contend with as part of recovering, but like relief and... Yeah, that was not nice, feeling relief. Mm. The whole thing was really disruptive. It was like my whole career was just starting. Everything was going to change. Like the whole, th my whole life, my whole world, everything that I understood was not going to be the same anymore. No, it would have been totally different. No, so there was a part of me that like wished that I wasn't pregnant, but also I was excited simultaneously. It's, I, I don't know if like... Other women have felt this way. I'm sure they have. I think it's totally possible to feel like two conflicting emotions about something at the same time. Yeah. It's like, what is it? Cognitive dissonance or something like that? Like you can, yeah, you're like really happy about something, but you're also really sad about it. I feel like that's totally normal. Yeah, I think so. It was, to be honest with you, I didn't have time to process what was happening. Yeah. Because it would have been so quick. 
Yeah, from finding out you're pregnant to miscarrying was a month. That's nothing. No, and it was get your head around it. Like, you know, I'm very much the type of person who needs to know what I'm doing next. I need to understand. I plan ahead. I'm not super organised in that way, but I know what I want to do. I know where I'm going. Yeah. And this was just everything thrown out the window. Like imagine having to just rearrange your entire life in your head. Yeah. How you imagined it, how you pictured it to be is just not that anymore. And then having to rearrange it back. Back, exactly. That in itself was just... And that's so traumatic. No, and it's not something that I could, I grasped was happening at the time. I didn't know that's what I was going through, but it was just like I needed something to grab onto. Like everything was just, you know. Hmm. So miscarrying, I was like, okay. And I remember we sat there and on a curb in an alleyway, Joel and I, and I just didn't, oh no, didn't feel a lot. And I was like, okay, this is okay. And I remember saying to him, I was like, well, now you can like choose who you have a baby with like it can be a choice and he was like I thought it was a pretty good choice (laughs) and that was hard to hear um then I drove home and I hadn't cried or anything and it was like I sat down um, with my mum and I had this CGM this continuous glucose monitor in in me and I just like broke down and I ripped it out and I just was hysterical, screaming, like screaming. It just, it snapped. Like whatever it was, I I just snapped and I couldn't, I didn't stop crying for like five hours. Mm. It was a long time. Just Mm. sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I went and took a shower and I got out and I couldn't even get dressed. It was kind of like the beginning of everything falling apart. Mm. Um, Joel came over and he was like, okay, I guess everything's not fine. Hmm. I guess you're not okay. And I was like, I guess not. <laughs> and, yeah, it all kind of went downhill from there because what happened was the sonographer should not have told me that I'd miscarried. Miscarried. That was not her job. She's not supposed to do that. She can say, I can't find a fetal pole, but you need blood tests because that's what happened. Like I went to the GP to discuss what's next and she's like okay well we can't rule out that you're still pregnant so can you can you imagine oh my god it was I was just already like started to grieve and started to and then have this kind of like okay but you could still be pregnant and telling Joel and telling my mom and just I just was they were they were so hopeful like yeah Maddie you you know this is something that happens like it could and I was like can you just not like I can't do this I can't process your feelings and all of this, like, I just need to, in my mind, have miscarried and this is just an extra test. But, like, mm-hmm. the pressure and feelings of them was really difficult yeah. to kind of – because I didn't want to snub it out and be like – but it was also just too much for me to handle, you know? No, I totally get it. Like, that sounds selfish, but it was No, really- it's your body. It's your life. And to have to be told that it's – you know, you've miscarried, and then to basically break down and then go back to the idea that it could still be alive, like that is the definition of an emotional roller coaster. Like oh. that is, I can't even imagine. No, it was just like being yanked yeah, from one side to another side all over the place, like mentally, emotionally. I just couldn't, like I said, I just couldn't. I needed something to hang on to. I just, even if it was the worst thing ever, that I just need that. That needs to be the truth. Yeah. That needs to be the solid. Like, I can't keep doing this. So anyway, I had miscarried. The bloods came back and she was like, whatever hormones through the roof, it's too high, it's too low, I can't remember. Honestly, I don't mm. know. And then it was from there discussing um, options mm. because I had what's called a missed miscarriage, so it means that you don't bleed. Shit, okay. I was going to ask, how do they, yeah. Mm. I didn't, yeah, I didn't bleed. And even the time from... Finding out I'd miscarried to, because I opted for surgery. Like, mm. the there's a there's a pill you can take which contracts that you can take within a certain amount of a certain stage during your pregnancy that causes uh, a miscarriage, and it contracts your uh, uterus. Oh, and it like makes it okay. Yeah, yeah. It like is a kind of induced miscarriage. Miscarriage, but um, what happens can happen is sometimes it can't go. It doesn't pass all the way through and things can get 
caught and you can get an infection. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I spoke to a nurse and she was like, I wish that we just didn't have this one as an option because it's not safe. There's no, like, not entirely safe in the sense that, like, there's no one monitoring. You can take it at home. Oh, yeah, you just go home and then, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. I'd prefer surgery. Yeah, so I didn't when she was like, oh, you can wait. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, I don't want to wait to start bleeding. That sounded awful. I was yeah. like, I want some kind of control in this. So I opted for um, the surgery and everything got worse from this point. Like the handling of me from the medical community was just horrendous. Like nothing was explained to me properly. I didn't even know what I, what the surgery was or what to expect. And to be honest, I didn't know what to ask. Like it just... Yeah, I wouldn't know what to ask. I didn't know what to ask. People are meant to tell you. Yeah. It was... So on the day that uh, I was going getting the surgery, you, you have to have... Because it's a miscarriage and not an abortion mm. and you're going through the public system, they have to make doubly, triply sure. So it's just an extra layer of, oh, maybe. Like had to have another ultrasound. Still, yep, nothing there. And the doctor who did the ultrasound, he was just... A nightmare. Like, he was horrendous. We So, like, you have to... Anyway, don't need to go into details. I can say, put this stick up your vagina. Like, <laughs> um, sit down with him and he leans back in his chair, like... <laughs> he was that, like... So, like, relaxed? A, a country and... club with a cigar and a whiskey. Like you know nonchalant. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It was like, he was like an older man. And um, he's like, so, how old are you? And I was like, um... 26 <laughs> where is this going um and I could just tell straight away like this was yeah anyway how old are you 26 what do you do I'm a journalist okay yeah interesting so we're not gonna let this happen again are we fuck off no <sighs> gives me a lecture on contra- contraceptives on using condoms just before I'm about to go to get surgery for my miscarriage like, obviously, I'm not going to put myself in this position again. And I made an, I had a lapsed judgment having unprotected you, sex. You just, you just did something. Like, it's, there's no one is to blame here. The point isn't how I got pregnant. Yeah. We're not here to talk about that. Like, this is, this happens to people all the time. All the time. We don't need to have a conversation about having fucking protected sex like are you kidding me i'm having i'm having a miscarriage like fucking read the room mate. <laughs> it was not yeah it was so inappropriate yes and at the time it was just too too much to i knew it was wrong like but i yeah. wasn't in the space to have a fight with him or like no because you would have been myself. so yeah so emotionally drained and what he should have been doing was you know suggesting counseling options and explaining in depth what was going to happen and not fucking passing judgment on someone for something that happens to so many people and it's it's just beside the point like yeah fuck who cares i got pregnant the end yeah that's all you need to know mm-hmm. you, that's all you need to know yeah. like how fucking dare you mm. this is none of your business anyway awful that makes me so angry oh yeah fuck <laughs> it's so bad um, so yeah, as you can, I don't know, I don't know what other people's experiences were, but I think that all of this was like compounding. Yeah. The very like compounding factors that led to what happens next. <sighs> so obviously after this horrible doctor had been horrible to you, you then had to have the surgery. Yes. The same day. Mm-hmm. So my friend who is now dead to me, Marion. That's how I refer to that friendship group. You'll pick up on a thing. When I first met you, you'd be like, my friend who's now dead to me. And I was like, oh, okay, I like this. I have to say it. That's just great. I don't know how else to, fra- to phrase it. Mm. Sorry. Um, so a friend who is now dead to me, Marion, came with me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked my best friend to come and she said that she had to work. Great. Love it. <laughs> so this, Thanks. This, this is where we I'm were seeing at. A, I'm seeing a trend here. Yes. It's not a great trend. It's not. It's, yeah. So I didn't hear from Joel. Joel kind of um, <clears throat> dropped off after I miscarried. He stopped um, 
contacting me. Hmm. He he just disappeared. I went to this appointment with the doctor. He asked if I wanted him to come and I said, no, it's fine. I'll be fine. And it, I wasn't fine. It was a really awful appointment. I didn't realise what we would be discussing when mm. I got there, which was all the options, you know. And I, I thought I was going to be okay to handle that. And I just wasn't. And I went home and, like, cried and cried and cried and cried. did a lot of crying during that time. Yeah, I just, yeah. Anyway, so he called me after the, that appointment and was like, how did it go? And I was just in tears and not well. It was really unpleasant. Mm. And he was like, okay, well, he said to me that he would come and see me mm. when he finished work. And he just never turned up. I didn't hear from him and he just never turned up. So I called his brother and I was like, hey, have you seen Joel? And he's like, oh, yeah, he was around here doing washing. And I was like, okay. And then I called another friend and I was like, hey, have you have you seen Joel? And she's like, yeah, yeah, he was um, here before with Tom and now they're going over to do some errands and they're going to Tom's mum's house and whatever. He was just running errands and I was at my house, like, dealing with a miscarriage. the loss of yeah. our baby. Um, so that kind of put it, like, fractured our relationship from mm. that point because he it, – it went from, like – he would come over to my house with vegetables and stuff, just being like, I want you to be healthy. I want you to be, you know, because we're going to have this baby and I want you to feel really good and doing all these lovely things for me and being really supportive. And as soon as I miscarried, he was gone. And I really hate when people say, oh, well, you know, maybe some people deal with things differently. Maybe that was his way of coping. Sure. Mm. Maybe. Or maybe he just moved on with his life yeah. because that's what I think happened because he was not impacted the way that physically I Physically imp- as well, especially. No, he, yeah. was, he was not impacted physically and he never expressed anything to me. Mm. Going into surgery, hadn't heard from Joel and the whole procedure was really horrendous. I really wish someone had prepped me for what was coming because it was just so confronting, like waiting in the waiting room with all these it's like a very comfortable, warm space, you know, these big comfy chairs and stuff. It's meant to be nice, but it's not. It's not nice. All these other women, they have their various reasons for being here. Um, that's not all baby-related, but anyway. And just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they gave me half of that pill that I told you about that yep. contracts the um, uterus. Uterus, yep. So painful. <sighs> so painful. I was shivering, like shaking, and it was just this really confronting kind of like, wow, this is happening. There was like my first kind of physical, what what would you, how, well, how would you say this? Like like reaction? It was experience. Okay. Like my first physical kind of experience of yeah. what was happening to me. Because before that, it's just been all very mental and I haven't mm. bled, I haven't, nothing's happened. Right. So this is the first time you're actually experiencing something physical in regards to this miscarriage. Yeah. And yeah. it was really confronting. I didn't expect to be so emotionally impacted by that and mm. being like, wow, this is real now. Mm. So then um, they, that loosens, so they give you that so it loosens up the uterus so mm. that they can get the pregnancy out easier. And after a while, like, they lied me on this bed and rolled me in to the, there's like a pre-room, a room you go in before you go in to the surgery and I was I remember being terrified which was something I also didn't think about I didn't think I would be scared cuz I don't know it's not dangerous or anything it's just like a little pro- did you just think it was going to be just like a, a very little procedure I thought it would be like a little room yeah. and like one person and very chill yeah. but there was like five doctors like there was well that weren't all doctors obviously yeah. <laughs> five medical professionals five medical professionals like two anesthetists like it just oh. all of these people and no one was really speaking to me. It's, someone said a couple of things, but it was very like, whoa. Got wheeled in, big lights, big surgery room. I was like, whoa, what the hell is happening? And I, all I remember after that was being really scared, really sad, and the anesthetist just saying to me, all you have to do is dream. And then I woke up and really, really drowsy, really, really drowsy from um, – the anesthetic. Yeah. And it took me ages to finally actually be able to get up when I finally properly woke up because I fell asleep, kept waking up, falling asleep. 
the nurse was like, okay, so you've got to get up now. Like, you've got to, you've got to go. And I looked down and I was covered in blood. Oh. Um, my whole genital region, I had, they had put like gauze kind of thing. Okay, yeah. There and just the whole bed and everything was just, there was blood. And I was like, oh, shit. I did not expect that. And then I stood up to go get dressed and blood ran down my leg. And it just like, like a lot (laughs) ran down my leg. And it was just, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I just didn't know. Like if I had known, maybe if someone had said, you're going to be bleeding, like Mm. you'll be bleeding for a while. Like this is normal because I just thought they took it out and then you moved on with your life. You bleed for weeks. You bleed for weeks. No one said anything. No one told me anything. That's so fucked up that no one had this conversation with you. I just, I just, it's, it, it, it literally blows my mind. I, it's mind boggling. It was so mismanaged. Mm. The whole thing was so mismanaged. It was horrendous. Do you think that it had you been in a position where these doctors and nurses were supporting you and talking you through everything? Do you think the, basically what happened after the whole miscarriage would have been as intense as it was? Do you think that you would have been able to kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say move on, but heal easier and more quickly? It's really hard to say. Yeah. I don't think it helped. Mm. I definitely don't think it helped because it was like having my head slammed against the wall repeatedly. Mm. That probably wasn't useful in my well, what inevitably happened. happened but um, I don't know because mm. there were a lot of things. This is what makes it so complicated as well. But, yeah, it's hard to say. It wasn't good. I would hope that other women wouldn't have to go through the same oh, yeah, 100%. thing that I did. But, yeah, every time um, you go to the toilet and you look down and there's blood, it's like this reminder. It's like you take it home with you mm. for weeks and it... It was really hard. So I went home from the hospital, had a few friends come over. Um, They were trying really hard to make it happy. Um, Someone brought a wig and then they brought Krispy Kreme donuts and like a really ugly caftan and were just like, yay, hey, woohoo. And it was just strange. Like I know they were trying really hard, but it was just kind of like stunted, stunted, I don't know. I spoke to Joel. I was really, really emotional about Joel. I was telling them, I was like, this has been awful. Like, he is gone. He, Yes, he was the father of this baby, but he was also my friend for, like, six years, Mm. and that's more important. Like, he would never have treated me like this if he wasn't, like, implicated. Mm. He would have just been a friend. Yeah, he would have been there supporting you. Yeah, and he just wasn't doing that. I spoke to him on the phone, and he, I was still really, like, drowsy from the anaesthetic. And I was just like, where have you been? Like, why are you not here? You know, you should have been at my house with, like, a fucking card or just a hug and just been like, I hope you're all right. Like, mm. I hope that this is, wasn't too hard for you. But he was nowhere. And <laughs> I was like, where have you been? And he was like, I'm not your fucking husband. And hung up the phone on me. That weekend he had a pool party. This sounds very childish. <laughs> he had a pool party. I wasn't invited. All of my friends were invited. I was not welcome to come. I was not welcome. And no one, not one of my friends said shit. No one stood up for me. No one. It was just like, oh, well, too bad. That's when I started being isolated and ostracized. And it just got worse from there. There were, I can't explain, like, I didn't. So my mental health was deteriorating and I didn't know. Like, I was trying really hard, but I wasn't okay. Hmm. I was anxious all the time to the point where, like, I was like, okay, I need to probably go and address this and um, started to see, I can't remember actually, this is where, this is the part where, I, where I'm really confused because this is where it got really bad and like my memory is yeah. very blurry. I was having panic attacks. I couldn't leave the house. I uh, just, it got worse and worse and worse. My friends, <laughs> air quote friends, were just frustrated with me. Like they didn't, I just felt it. I felt them pulling away and pushing me away. 
and not wanting to talk to me and not wanting to deal with it and like them kind of being like this is what you should be focusing on like the because I was so upset about Joel and I was so upset about how I was being treated that was that became what I was looking at and they were like why aren't you focusing on getting through your miscarriage like focus on that and I was like, I can't, I can't. This is what's hurting. This yeah. is what's hurting. Yeah. But also it's all connected though. Yeah, it definitely was. Like, And it, it it was as well because it's hard not to go, oh, okay, well, I'm being treated this way because of what's happened. And it was completely out of my control. Yeah, you did genuinely nothing wrong. Yeah. Do you think they just didn't care enough or they just weren't willing to care enough? I don't know if it was to do with a lack of caring. I think there was... Anger. Right. I think that was a – the role I played in that group for the whole time and some of those friendships were a decade old was I'm the supporter. If yeah. you are having a hard time, you can call me. They will come to my house. Like I brought everyone together. I got told you're the glue. Like, you know, that was my role. Yeah. And then when I was no longer playing that role, I don't think they knew how to place me. They were angry at me for – being a mess they were angry at me for not having it together especially Angie because I think she kind of maybe saw it as like you've brought this on yourself this is your fault you had unprotected sex there are bigger things in the world why are you so emotional I honestly do feel because they don't understand and it's really difficult you cannot this is a big thing you cannot expect people to understand what you're going through no and that's one of the biggest I think hurdles with mental health is like can't you see? Can't you see how sick I am? Can't you see how sad I am? But they can't see. And you cannot expect anyone to know. And it's really isolating. It's really, really isolating. You're lucky if you have one or two people who will hold you up and stick by you. And I know it's really awful and I know it's really confronting. And if you have more than that, then you are very lucky. Very lucky. But most people just don't want to deal. Yeah. And they react in different ways. But I think with my situation, they honestly just thought I was being dramatic. Which is something I've, which is a narrative that I've heard from a lot of people, especially women who, you know, deal with like, exact, especially depression and anxiety. It's this, you're being dramatic kind of thing. Yeah. You're being emotional. You're being too emotional. Which is so hard because you're already feeling, you're already, on some level, I think we all feel quite guilty for, it's almost like we're taking up space and we should get better and we should feel better. And so we obviously are trying to do that. But when you have people who are meant to be in your corner who are kind of not supporting you and making you feel again guilty for that. Yeah, not even not in your corner, but like actually becoming your enemy. Yeah, like not even in your fucking, yeah, yeah, your world. Like, So I guess how did it all kind of come to a head is uh, what I want to ask you about. So I started seeing a psychologist because I knew that I wasn't coping mm. Um Kind of around my birthday was when it was getting quite bad and I had been given, like, Valium from the doctor to try and, like, subside. And sleep and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't so much sleep. Sleep was really easy. I wanted yeah. to sleep all the time. Wow. But it was being awake that was hard. Right. Um, and I started on antidepressants as well. And I put an alarm in my phone. Um, this is, like, something that I haven't told, like, a lot of people about. I put an alarm in my phone and it was set for a month. I gave myself a month. Um, and if I wasn't better by then, if I didn't feel better, then I was going to take my own life. Mm. And that was the plan. <laughs> I just... Um, I just didn't see a way out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really hard to be a person. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. It was, yeah. <sighs> Through that time, like, I definitely made it harder for myself because I was beating myself up yeah. over being so affected because I knew that miscarriage was really common. And that's kind of, like, meant to be comforting. Like, oh, 70% of first pregnancies end in miscarriage. Like, it's okay. But it doesn't help. No. It makes you feel, like, unimportant. A statistic. A statistic. 
but also just like if all of these women and all of these people have gone through this, then why are you so impacted? Yeah, what makes you special? Yeah, why can't you just get over this? And that is the voice, that was the voice in my head that was alongside all of the other horrible things that I was saying to myself. Mm. You're worthless. There's a reason why no one wants to be a friend. This is your fault. Things aren't going to get better. Just mean, mean, mean to myself. And you believe it, like, it's your voice. 100%. So, yeah. Um, I put the alarm in the phone and I don't know how much longer after it was that I had a meltdown, but it was not too much like I had a breakdown. Yeah. Um, and I I was just, I knew that it was either tell someone or you will take your life. That was it. And it, if anyone's gone through this, they'll understand the kind of conflict of wanting to die and also not wanting to die. Mm. Just being like, I only death seems like the only way to stop the pain. I'm so unhappy. I'm 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 hurting so badly, and I think that's how it was for me anyway. And so I called my sister. I was at work and I just lost it. I had a complete another like meltdown, hysterical, crying, could hardly talk, and I was just like I just told her I was like I just I don't want to do this anymore. Like I can't be here anymore. I need your help. Like I need I need you to help me. Mm. And she was like, okay. I'm coming. Like she lived quite far away from me. And she was like, I'm coming. And I was like sobbing hysterically. And I sobbed all the way home. Like I was just like buckled over the steering wheel, like couldn't breathe properly. And um, she called me when I was nearly home and was like, I've asked Marion to come to your house um, because I'm. she's going to be able to get there before me. Hmm. And I, I panicked. I was like, no, please don't. Please. I was like, She's shitting, I said, she's shitting these situations. And plus, I just didn't want to see anyone else. It wasn't even about her specifically. That was my reaction. I only wanted to see my sister. That's who I felt close to. That's who I wanted to see. Mm. The end. I was in a very vulnerable state. And Shantae called another friend, said, please tell Marion not to go. Maddie said she's shitting these situations. This is an important, (laughs) this is an important line that you will... (laughs) Um, that person she told then chose to relay what I had said verbatim to Marion, to Angelique, to Tyre, to John, who then used that against me. Um, just that was it. That was it. That was when they, that was the end, really. They stopped being my friend after that kind of thing. I went to a psych ward because I didn't know what else to do. And the, my psych and my GP were like, we want you to go. And then my site kind of did a weird threatening thing. Like if, you know, I can section you, is it called section? Schedule. Schedule. Yeah. I can schedule you if you refuse. She's like, you're better off going in as a voluntary patient. Um, and so I did, and it was horrendous. <laughs> Psych wards are horrible places, and I feel very sorry for anyone who has to spend their time trying to recover in one because They're it's not a place to recover. No. It's a place to stop you from hurting yourself there are procedures in place they take everything away from you so but it's not a place to recover Mm. so yes all my friends knew I was in a psych ward I had one um, it's called a mental health unit actually Mm. we have to use that language it's nice a psych ward sounds really aggressive there's nothing wrong with having to go to one I'm not Mm. ashamed or embarrassed about this this was the best option for me to be safe and I just, for anyone who's listening and has had to go, there's no shame. No. There's no shame. It's not great. It's not a pleasant experience, but there's nothing embarrassing about it. Um, yeah, all my friends knew. I heard from no one. I heard from no one. It was dead silent. My mum was in China, so I didn't have her. And how long were you in there for? I only stayed a night. Yeah, and then you were just like, no. It was awful. Hmm. Having a consultation with the psychiatrist it was like sat down there was him and then there was two kind of student psychs I guess I don't know what they were okay so um you're having suicidal ideations blah 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 it was like the Easter long weekend um so I went in on like the Thursday or the Wednesday Mm. and it was Easter Sunday on obviously Sunday Mm. um and he's like okay so we're gonna keep you in for like a week 
he's like, um, but there's no one here, so you're not going to be able to get any therapy or, like, see anyone or talk to anyone, but we'll just keep you in and then let you go on Monday. How does that sound? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and No. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is the point of me being here? I can take these heavy drugs at home and not have to be around very, very unwell people who, like, you see some really confronting things. Hell yeah. In- and that's not going to make you feel better. No, it doesn't. It Yeah, it doesn't. So my mum got back, like, the next day. So I'd been there overnight. And she came to see me and we went to lunch. And I remember being, like, really out of it because they give you strong. It's not Valium. I don't know what it is. It's, mm. like, heavier. And I was like, you got to take me home. I was like, I can't stay there another night. It's awful. And they can't help me anyway. Like, what? Well, I just got to hang out in a mental health unit sedated. Like, what? <laughs> what's the point of that? So, yeah, I don't That's just... So, yeah, she because I was voluntary, I was allowed to leave, so I just left. And then that's when it was, yeah, going home is like, okay, now we have to deal with this. And I didn't. I was just a mess. Like, I'm I'm really clean person. I couldn't even pick up my towel off the floor. Like, I was just wanted to sleep, wanted to do nothing. And um, in the midst of all of this happening, I was enrolled in this post-grad um, that was really competitive. You have to get in through audition and somehow, <laughs> somehow I got in um, and it was really demanding. It was four days a week, like full kind of work hours hmm. and it was like you can't take time off. And this was actually one of the really, a really helpful thing for me because my friends had fucked off. Like I don't need to go in all, into all the details no. of every single person who called or texted me and said they didn't want to know me anymore. Dicks. <laughs> Sorry, but... Dicks. Dicks. Yeah. Like, can't tell me why. Fine, whatever. All of that compounded with, like, trying to not want to kill myself, being diagnosed with PTSD, having panic attacks. Like, I was a mess and trying to complete this postgrad. But that was my saving grace. I had this really amazing lecturer. She had lost her son two years ago at that point. And talking to her and listening to her strength and having her, she was really tough love. It wasn't soft. She was like, you just got to keep going. You just got to get up and you just got to keep going. She's like, you can't stop. Mm. You feel like you want to, but it doesn't help. And so that's what I did. I'd go to uni. I'd have a panic attack in a radio studio. (laughs) I'd take a Valium and then I'd go back to class. I just kept going until... It got easier and it got easier. And eventually I was kind of normal-ish. And by the end of the year, I still wasn't 100% there. And obviously I'm still on a journey. Yes. Um, And I will one day, I know, be like fucking killing it. Oh, I'm killing You're killing it. it now. I'm killing it now. I am. I'm killing it now. <laughs> I'm killing it now. Let's be honest. But I was so fucking proud of myself at the end of that year, that nightmare year, I won the ABC award and that's how I moved to Sydney and that's why I met you Yes, and that's why I'm here and I just, yeah, I think I was, I was so proud. I was so proud of myself. I looked back and I was like, whoa, look what you did. Like you went through all of that horrendous, nightmarish shit but you kept going. And 100%. This is what, like, imagine what you could achieve if you were like fully functioning. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and you didn't have all these traumatic things happen. Yeah, to you. fucking hell. Yeah. So, like, how these days? How do you manage things like anxiety and feelings of sadness and things like that? Have you got you know things in place to combat those those feelings? I do, um, because I recently started seeing a psychologist again. A stranger hit me in the face, and that re-triggered my anxiety. I was fine and then boom, I wasn't. And I like was frozen. Mm. I couldn't go to work. I remember, well, it was like when I was at work because it kind of built up Mm. from that day. And I was sitting at work and I was like, just breathing. I was like, I couldn't, you know, that feeling you can't catch your breath. Mm -hmm. And like you're on the verge of a panic attack. I sat there for eight hours feeling like that. And I was like, oh dear. And because I've been 
in that really awful place before, knowing how bad and how far down that hole can go, I panicked and I was like, okay, fuck this. I'm not doing this again. And I went straight to the GP and I was like, give me some drugs, send me to a doctor. I'm not, come on, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah, <laughs> And it was really good because the lady that I see, she deals specifically with people with um, complex trauma, which mm. is exactly what I have, childhood trauma, re-traumatised in adulthood and then traumatised again. Mm. That's kind of helpful to understand. 100%. Yeah, how your brain can be impacted. Yes. And kind of helped me to understand potentially why I was so impacted by a miscarriage because I'd had trauma in the past and complex trauma just um, makes it. It's like a pattern in your brain, hey? Kind of. Like how you react and then it impacts on how you react to things? Yeah, it's more compounding. Yes, you know? okay. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's a lifelong long affliction that you no. have to deal with and whatever. It's just maybe it's about building resilience yeah. and that's just exactly what I've been doing. So she's been talking to me about, you know, not just using your your rational mind and not just using your emotional mind and finding that really nice middle ground where you can combine both of those things and it's like a grey area. The whole world's hmm. grey, you know. Hmm. <laughs> so the other day when I was um, – I started to feel really anxious and I just went, ooh, out loud. I talk to myself all the time <laughs> at work. I'm like, ooh, I feel really anxious. I wonder what that's about. And it was like as soon as you acknowledged it, like a petulant child having a scream, it just went. Like wow. it sat there for a little bit but because I didn't go into it. You acknowledged it and you moved on from it. Yeah, I was like, oh, hey, I see you. Cool. All right, acknowledged, and it was fine. Wow. And I told my psych that, and she was very proud. <laughs> She's like, doing well. Yeah. You get an A in therapy. Yes. <laughs> well, you would get an A in therapy. You're, you're winning at therapy. <laughs> Matt, before we run out of time, because this has just been the most a fantastic conversation, I'm so proud of you, um, what would you say to someone, a woman, who is experiencing something like a miscarriage and – what would be your advice in, t- in terms of dealing with that that trauma? Well, a miscarriage or a termination because people can be incredibly impacted emotionally Both, by those yeah. as well, not expecting that you might think it's going to be okay and it's not. Um, I would say your feelings are valid, that it's okay for you to grieve. Um, I would say no one's going to understand. Maybe someone else who's gone through it may be able to, empathize with you but your experience is your own Hmm. and it's okay you'll get through it it's going to be awful for a while but you will get through it Hmm. do not beat yourself up do not compare yourself to anyone else it's your it's your experience it's all relative your emotions are valid and find some good fucking friends (laughs) (laughs) well i hope you found some good ones now yeah we're pretty cool yeah (laughs) mad thank you so much for this i just you're a gem Thanks for having me. It's been brilliant. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Guys, I told you it's it's an emotional one. I'm I'm sorry if anyone (laughs) didn't expect that, but I I really am so proud of Madison for telling that story and allowing me to put it out there. I think I think for her, this is actually going to help a lot in her in her healing. Um, and I think, as I said in the beginning of this episode, it's going to benefit so many women who have gone through something similar. Um, so just hats off to Madison. Guys, as usual, I got to do the social media stuff because it's important. I got to get those followers. Oh, my God. Actually, speaking of social media, how hilarious is it? Hilarious? How hilarious is it that we don't have, like, the like amounts on Instagram anymore? That's just – I think that's a good thing. I think it's going to really benefit people because how many times have you posted something and you're like, I've only got 12 likes, I'm a failure? Like, no, you're not a failure. (sighs) But I've been – I mean, I've felt the same way. Anyway, social media. We're going to do it quickly because you know how efficient I am as a person not um so if you want to find me on facebook you can just type in if you don't mind you'll find us um 
when it comes to Instagram. If you don't mind, podcast is us. Please uh, follow us, like a post. It doesn't really matter, but like it anyway, because I see it and it makes me feel warm inside. Um, I'm not even going to bother talking about Twitter because it's a lost cause and I'm very, uh, feeling very dejected about it. But I mean, if you do really want to follow us, it's if you don't mind P, but I don't know. Anyway, and if you want to contact me, you totally can. Uh, shoot me an email at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. Let's chat. Let's talk. Do you want to be on the podcast? Sick. Let me know. And finally, the most important thing, guys, I need more patrons. I only have six. I need more. <laughs> if you want to be a patron, you totally can. Go to Patreon, type in if you don't mind. You can give other two, four or $5 and $10. I think those are the limits or like the tiers, as they say. Um, so please give if you can. Remember, if you subscribe as like someone who just wants to give $2 a month, that's 50 cents a week. Oh, Please, <laughs> I need <laughs> I need money. But as I always say, guys, please, 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 if you have the chance to chat to someone and listen to their story, it's really important. Do it because it really will make you a different person, a better person, a more understanding person. I don't know why I'm talking so fast. I'm going to go. I love you all. Bye.